Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer Blondie. This is Roland Olsabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts. You don't generally hear a whole lot of pro-ska material from most stand-up comedians. Maybe being cynical about everything doesn't quite mesh with the earnest joy of ska music. Fortunately, not all hope is lost in the comedy world. Stand-up comedian Ian Fidance, our guest today, is aggressively pro-ska. He does the good work by trying to convince his fellow jaded comedian friends to give the genre a chance. He posts a lot about ska, and he even had the audacity to create a piece of merch that rips off the Operation Ivy logo. Hopefully, with his guidance, a new generation of kids will stop seeing shitting all over Ska as a sign of intelligence. Aside from stand-up, Ian has appeared in or worked on several TV shows like The Last OG, Pause with Sam J, and Cranky Anchors. I didn't know who Ian was until <laughs> he was just adding all of these different Ska bands on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I clicked through to his to his profile. He has so many followers. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a legit comedian. And he likes ska. And he likes ska. I would even go as far as to say he is the ska king of comedy. And I think that he would agree. I'm not sure if I saw him on Instagram or Twitter first, but he's definitely part of ska Twitter. You usually don't see big names outside of the insular scene part of ska's Twitter, but he's part of it. Happy to have him. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Ian. I thought he was super enjoyable somebody that I've, i'm really surprised i didn't cross paths with back in the day what a fun enjoyable person i want to start by asking you about this video you posted where you're uh holding my book and you're you're asking a woman if she likes scott and she gets very excited yes do you remember this video okay i have a few questions about this video absolutely i mean okay so <clears throat> I'll set the scene. I was filming a show uh, for HBO and I was on set and I just, your book had just been released, which I had been on the waiting list to get. So I, Mike Park posted about it like a year ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. I'll read it during quarantine. And then I didn't realize until after I ordered it, I was so excited that it was like, this is a pre-order. I was like, ah, crap. So the book came and I was just like reading it wherever I could. And a lot of times on like TV sets, it's just a lot of hurry up and wait. So you're just like sitting around all day. So I'm like in this green room, just like going through your book and then I couldn't put it down. So I was in the makeup chair. Like I brought it to the makeup chair 
So while I was waiting for makeup, I could sit and read it. And then I brought it to wardrobe. So I, you know what I mean? And wardrobe, this woman was like, first of all, we, she had worked on another project I had done. So we were like hitting it off on that. And then she saw that I had this book and she goes, wait a minute, is that a book about ska? And I was like, (laughs) bet your bottom dollar it is. (laughs) And we just geeked out about ska and uh, she was saying how, you know, she was, you know, used to get made fun of for being into ska. And I was like, me too, but we prevailed. I was like, that's what the book is about. It's in the defense of ska. And uh, I was like, we got to take a video. And I took a video of, of her being like, I love ska. I was like, does it feel good to live your true self? And she was like, yes, I'm so happy. And uh, yeah, I posted it. And that's how we got in touch. And I was so happy that like made my day that you saw it and you dug it. Yes, I know. I loved it. So the video appears to be like you're just walking down the street or you're just going person to person, pulling the book out of your bag, asking them if they like ska. That's how the video appears. Yes. So was this an isolated incident or is this something you do? Well, I mean, I do make like uh, man on the street videos. And actually, I used to do a, a series called Stolen Valor where I would go up to people on the street and like call them out for being a faker about something, you know, like, you know, stolen valor is when someone pretends that they were in the military to get like monetary gain or like recognition, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So the very first time I did it, I was on the New York city subway and this girl was wearing Vans checkerboard slip-ons and I (laughs) zoomed in on her and then screamed publicly. I was like, stolen valor. You don't really like ska stolen valor. You're just wearing it for fashion. You're not really a rude boy, a real girl stolen valor. And then I like ran away and, uh, I've done that with a bunch of stuff (laughs) like on Bedford Avenue in the heart of, you know, hip Brooklyn. I went into a vintage store and I was like, stolen valor. This isn't real vintage clothing. It's just expensive clothing repurposed to sell to trust fund kids, stolen valor. And then I zoomed in on the cashier and I was like, in stolen valor, you're not a real boat captain. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, So I actually, a guy from that chased me down the street and he like confronted me and I, he's like, what the fuck's the matter with you? I'm going to beat your ass. I was like, I'm sick. I'm sick. Sorry. I'm sick in the head. He was like, all right. He just left me alone. Nice. So what was the show you were on and you were doing an HBO show? What show were you doing? Yeah. uh, Pause with Sam J who's um, an incredible comic in New York city. She has her own HBO show and uh, she's such a sweetheart, man. She, uh picked me for like a role is is just a little thing it was like a little scene in a sketch but it was it was so great it was really fun and um yeah so that i that's how that that um woman and i like met and connected it reconnected and actually i'll tell you um i have posted about the book and i've gotten a lot of messages from people that are like oh my god i got the book i love it one buddy of mine is making a playlist off of all the bands and music you list. And he's like having such a fun treasure hunt with that. And, uh, you know, so I've gotten people messaging me being like, I, Oh my God, I love Scott. This is awesome. I'm getting the book, blah, blah, blah. And then I was in Chicago and I had the book out and this like, uh, wait, or the hostess came up to me and she's like, 
oh my god what book is that i need to read more i need to get more books is it interesting <laughs> and i was like yeah it's about ska and she goes oh never mind and then she just walked away well you know that's fine that's yeah you know, i guess yeah. it's not for her <laughs> I mean, look, listen, you get three out of ten hits. You're still in the Hall of Fame. Nobody bats a thousand. You know what I mean? I do have to say, though, you you said that that would be like a good show we should work on. And I would I would love to go around and just go up to people and be like, you like ska and just talk to strangers <laughs> about ska. But there is please do that. Well, there's a Twitter account called I think it's called Do You Like Ska? And they just tag celebrities and they go, do you like ska? Oh, it's it's ska or nah. Scott or nah, that's right. So I don't know if I'd be like it's the bass player from Grey Matter, who's another Scott band. Oh, okay. So I don't know if I'd be stepping on their toes or not, you know. I don't think so. I think it would be different enough, especially since it would just be man on the street sort of stuff. Whereas Scar and Aw is all like celebrities. I would then obviously be having Scott playing on my phone, and the goal would be to try to get people to skank with me. I love it. What percentage of people Man on the street that you're going to ask if they like Scott are going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, well, listen, I perform all over the country and I don't know if you're aware, but most people are pretty stupid. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the percentage is going to be pretty low, but I will say once they are injected with the positive, wonderful drug of Scott, they're going to be addicted. They're going to be addicted. Okay, that's my time. This yeah. has been fun, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I got t-shirts for sale in the back. Yeah, yeah. See, the funny thing is that, like, even though culturally there's, like, all this baggage with ska and people make fun of it, I bet if you showed all the people that said, I don't know what this is, and you showed it to them, they'd be like, this is cool. I like it. Dude. Like, yes. just given no, no context whatsoever and no, like, no baggage, I bet you almost all of them would like it. Without a doubt. I mean, dude, that was my... I had a radio show on Sirius called Ian's Infinite Playlist, where I'd ask comics to come on, give me three bands that they dig. We'd talk about the bands, and then I'd pick a song that I think they would like based off of them and the, the bands they gave me. And I would always try to skew ska. And uh, I got, like, people dug it. Like, I, you know, you're on the road so much as a comic, and you're in cars with other comics. And, like, I always try to be like, you like this? You like this? You know? Uh, and so I always try to play Scott and more often than not, the people that hear it without the pretense of like Scott, ew, they're like, oh, this, I dig this. I like this, you know? And then there's always that challenge of like, people know like a teeny bit of Scott and they don't like it. It's like mainstream Scott. And so then you show them stuff that's like a little bit outside of that. And they're like, oh, well, I like this. Yeah. As, as though that, like, that was like the exception to the rule when, when in fact, that's really more the norm of ska music. Totally, totally, yeah. And and also like, I uh, I uh, opened for Dave Attell, and so I'm on the road with him a ton. And we were in the car one time, and I was like, I'm gonna get him into ska. And I like, yeah, let's hear the story. I, I accidentally put on Choking Victim. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> accidentally, that was not really like the first uh, taste of ska you should give, you know. Uh, a, an old salt <laughs> comedian you know but then i put on <laughs> prince buster and he was like into it so you know okay it, it's all about it's it's all about finding everyone's flavor and taste i guess but choking victim is a is a real hard pool to dive into yeah i mean that's good though if you're if you're dealing with like crust punks or you yes know, 
people who who think ska is too soft, then those people you show them some choking victims. Well, that's what's so great about ska's. They're like a million different entry points for getting someone into it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, under the umbrella of ska, you got so many different things. You just got to get a little bit of what they like, and then from there, your little algorithm goes off in your head, and you can pick something that you think that they dig. And then when they do, oh my god, Eureka! It's amazing. So when I type the words comedian ska into Google, uh-huh. you, your name comes up. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. No way. Well, it's not like it's it's just like links where it's like Ian Finance interview on such and such show. Oh, that's awesome. So I guess so I guess your name's comedian and then ska probably comes up. Does, does ska come up in a lot of interviews that you do? Yeah. Even when you're not on po- a ska specific podcast? Um yeah, well, I did one podcast where it, it's called Settlers Pod, where there's like a, an apocalypse and you have to then like resettle the town you're in or whatever. And you have to like advocate for why you're the mayor or whatever. And uh, my one of my tenants of being the mayor of this town was like mandatory ska. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, we've been through a lot. We're going to need some positivity. We're going to need some dance therapy. We're going to blah, blah. And they were like, we're into it. You're, we're voting for you, you know. So I don't know. I People either ask me about ska or I'm so into it that it just it just happens to come up, you know. But I very much am known for being like, you know, into ska and I wear it as a badge of honor with no shame whatsoever. And I will defend it to the death. And so that comes up a lot because it's a very interesting stance to take when, you know, comedy can be very cynical and jaded and very like, you know, you have to make fun of everything, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, this is cool. I'm not going for the cheap joke here. This is, this is awesome. And fuck you if you don't like it. <laughs> Do you have Scott jokes in your routine or is it just because you talk about it off off stage or on social media? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I have Scott jokes. Um, I was in a Scott band. Oh, yes. We're going to dig into that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. But yeah, I I uh, I have jokes about it, you know, and um, I I have like jokes about everything. And Scott is like a little bit of a part of that. But um, I, I talk about it on podcast and off stage a lot can you give us uh, any of your any of your ska material um i mean i just you know I, obviously i poke fun at it first to like get the laugh and then i talk about it in earnest you know but uh you know i have a joke where i'm like you know people know ska when they hear it but ska is just like punk rock but for virgins you know it's kind of like <laughs> if, uh, you know it's like if a marching band got mad at their parents you know but I mean, really, Scottish is Gwen Stefani queefing into a trumpet, and I'm here for it, you know. <laughs> All right. So, okay. You you were in a ska band, or you are in a ska band? I was in a ska band, and then during quarantine, we kind of reunited. Okay, so give us, let's just start at the beginning. Sure. But what do you play? What instrument do you play? Guitar. I played rhythm guitar and then like an old timey, like, you know, like in, in a movie when like someone's wife dies or something, they're like, I never, I never went back to that town ever again. Or whatever. when my ska band broke up, I never picked up a guitar again. <laughs> I was like, it's just too <laughs> painful for me. <laughs> so, okay. What was the band called? And when did you form? Sock full of pennies. P E N N Y Z baby. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. (laughs) SFOP. That's what's up. Delaware Ska, baby. Let's do it. 
what year did this band exist? So they formed in 1998, and I went into high school in 1999. And the very first of all, I was in a classic rock cover band in eighth grade, and I got kicked out because I was trying to push the band in more of a um, ska punk cover direction and they were more like uh black sabbath only so it was kind of you know conflict of interest i kept playing ska at a band practice and so my very first day of high school i wore an operation ivy shirt to school to throw up like a flag you know to like meet my people find my tribe and um this guy had a lesson jake button i go lesson jake i love them i just learned how to play johnny quest Thinks for sellouts on the guitar. And he goes, you play guitar? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do you want to be in a ska band? And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like my ba- it, was, it was like, it wasn't even the first day of school. It was like the pre-first day where freshmen meet the seniors to get like your senior buddy or whatever, you know? It's like a cookout or whatever. And I'm like, I have always wanted to be in a ska band. Are you, are you kidding me? God is real. This is amazing. High school is going to be the best, you know? And uh, so he asked me to join a ska band, sight unseen. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. My mom picks me up from school and she's like, so how was your first day? I'm like, I'm in a ska band, mom. You know, (laughs) and uh, their guitarist was a their guitarist had already gone to college. So the seniors. So the band was seniors and their guitarist went away to college. So they needed a guitarist. So they asked me to join. And then I buddied up with a guy talking about like Jimi Hendrix and he came over to my house to like jam on the guitar. And I was like, I got asked to be in a ska band. Do you want to come to practice? And he was like, yeah. So I told them, I was like, I have a buddy who plays guitar. And they're like, great. And uh, then we just started practicing. And um, my, my buddy Rick was so much better at guitar than me. I actually hated him because after school, we would go outside the gymnasium. There was like a little cafeteria area. And he was like, you know, look, I, I'm I'm a non-traditionally handsome man. I'm very comfortable and I I'm I think I'm very, very handsome. I wear myself well, you know, but I will say, you know, in middle school, beginning of high school, I was what can only be described as criminally ugly. And so I'm grateful for it because it helped me develop my personality, you know. But this guy was like hot off the bat. He played guitar. I would go to the little cafeteria area and I'd be like telling jokes and like making people laugh and there'd be like a crowd of girls around me and I was like you know I'm the man and then this guy would come along with his little acoustic guitar set up play and start like singing Bob Dylan by himself and one by one all the girls and everyone would migrate to him and I was like this son of a bitch (laughs) be my best friend in a band <laughs> so we just started practicing and uh it was it was great. We just did all covers and we got asked to play like our first like freshman our first dance. Um and then like we started writing like originals, you know, and then um our big thing was for our trumpet player's 18th birthday, the singer pulled money together. We all pulled money together and hired Catch 22 to have to perform and we the the catch was we had to open for them so all these people came to see catch 22 and then they saw us which was great we didn't really think anything of it and then you know you like post flyers up around town whatever whatever and the very next show we did was like 
packed and sold out. And we're like, what, what is this? <laughs> are you, what are you talking? We're not ready for this, you know? And, uh, it just went from there. We just started playing a lot and, uh, put money together, record an album after my freshman year. And then, um, after my sophomore year, we put out another album and then we did like a final EP. And then we broke up after that because when we were going to college, the other guys that were four years older were then graduating college and were like faced with actual jobs and life. And they were like, no, we're going to do this <laughs> instead of like, you know, let's go on a, on tour for two years in a van, you know, back, backing up a little bit to when you guys played the dance and were playing mostly cover songs. What songs were you covering? Mustard plug beer link, link 80 verbal Kent. Um, we did uh what else oh my god all out of angst by no effects uh eventually we did um like uh rudy can't fail uh we did sound system by operation ivy um what else oh, oh summer 69 was like our big closer but not the brian adams version the mxpx version so we did a cover of a cover <laughs> <laughs> and that was like our closer and whenever we would play that me and another guy would pull everyone up on stage and like everyone would just be like rushing the stage and like stage diving and everything it was awesome that was like our big big closer my glasses would fly off and then get stomped on and you know my friend's dad was an eye doctor so shout out to him for fixing my glasses every other weekend <laughs> but uh yeah uh man oh crap what other covers did we do i forget but we our opener was mustard plug beer and then our closer was summer 69 by of course mxpx <laughs> that's a i mean that's a pretty solid cover set list yeah 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 i i you know i i got a bunch of vhs tapes digitized and our basis has them but we haven't seen them yet. So once we get a hold of them, we'll know. But we used to like play pool parties and people's like parties and stuff. And we would pick out a ton of different covers. I'm, it's just like slipping my mind because it was like 15 years ago, you know, more than that. My God, 18 years. I, I don't know. Jesus, I'm losing my mind. 1999, when you got this offer to join the span, you were already a big ska fan. Tell us a little bit about like when when you got into ska and what kind of was the um what it was that brought you to ska like did you hear it on the radio or just see a show or something well i i started out a huge metal fan like i loved metallica and then like i had a i had a step cousin who i used to go to his house for like re, like after wrestling practice and he got me into like wu-tang clan and old dirty bastard and i wanted to be like him he was like a super bad influence and uh i used to hang out at this record store and I would always um, go in there and just hang out. And then I was getting like Metallica and like Cannibal Corpse and Obituary albums and Slayer. And I'm in like fifth, sixth grade and I like have buck teeth and I wanted to be Kurt Cobain. So I parted my curly hair down the middle and dyed it blonde. Like it was just, you know, God bless my mom. But, you know, uh, and so. I started to hang out with this guy and then I started getting a rap. So when I tried to buy like Wu-Tang Clan and Old Dirty Bastard, the woman at the clerk that knew my music taste was like, no, come on. No, I, I got something for you. And I was like, okay. And she gave me Victory Style, which was Victory Records 
like compilation, you know? Yeah. And so I got that and I fell in love and I just started looking like trying to get into bands that were on like the thank you list, you know? And then that's how I got into um, Catch-22. Mm-hmm. But prior, I don't know how it happened, but I fell upon Operation Ivy in like seventh grade. And that's what I think it was like Rancid and Operation Ivy. And that's like what opened the door. And then that was around the same time as like Real Big Fish came out, Safe Ferris um, and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And um, Operation Ivy was like, I mean, they're my my all time. But I, oh, my God, I was such a poser. I had. I had two instances of poserdom that, you know, still haunts me to this day. I was wearing an Operation Ivy t-shirt and um, this girl that I liked was like, you know, you, you look like, you look like a young Tim Armstrong. And I was like, who? <laughs> she goes, Tim Armstrong. I go, the guy that landed on the moon. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and then like we were going to the movies and I was like, you know, it'd be great is if we just could see if Operation Ivy played a concert and we went and my two friends are like, dude what what is wrong like i didn't know that they broke i was like still awaiting a new album like i didn't know i had no clue, you know what I mean? and and actually around that time prior I, I actually before operation it went like metal rap for a little bit hardcore and then um because i was into metal i i saw that danzig was doing an autograph signing at the cherry hill tower records and so i ended up getting a misfits cd to get him to sign and so that's how i got into the misfits because of danzig and then he refused to sign any misfits stuff but i brought my guitar for him to autograph and dude he showed Mm -hmm. me how to play a bar chord he had me hang out and talk to me the whole time he had me and my friend we went on his tour bus i think he was trying to bang my mom uh because he kept (laughs) like you know, I could give your kids tickets to the show. Why, why don't you bring the kids? I'll bring you backstage. And I'm like, mom, take one for the team. And uh, so um, that I, I went front and then I got into the Misfits. And then through the Misfits, I got into like some other stuff. And then, I mean, Asian Man Records was the pinnacle of just getting, you know, mail orders fun or Misfits of Ska and then getting into all those bands from that, you know, and then Scotty Boy Discs that mail order catalog, I would just like look at an album that looked cool and then ask for it for Christmas, you know, and the lead singer of my band would make me mixtapes. And so he would put a ton of different songs and bands on there. And then I'd listen to them and that's how we would like make mixtapes for each other. And that's how I got into different types of uh, ska bands. Yeah. It feels like the people that got into Scott in that era, just by, uh, you know, just from MTV and just those bands, it seems like those are the people that like got really embarrassed by Scott. Whereas the people that continued to dig into the genre and got into Asian man records bands, Mm -hmm. those are the people that were just kept liking Scott or at least didn't view it as like this, you know, embarrassment from their past. So, I mean, it sounds like you went in pretty deep. I did. Yeah. And also, you know, I I was in a ska band, so I had to, you know, like, I'm not going to be embarrassed about being in my band, you know, like the music, was a huge part of me and it wasn't just something that i saw on mtv and was like oh i like it it wasn't a trend it wasn't like a fashionable thing and i think when you get when you you know tie your horse to the fashion train or you know cart do horses pull trains they pull carts when you tie your (laughs) your, when you tie when when you like things because it's trendy when that trend goes out of style you feel like a 
fucking loser for falling for it in the first place. So I feel like that is attached to it in a way when, but when you like something that you like because you like it, you then don't care whether it's trendy or not. Yeah. I, t- I too like kind of went through different kinds of music before I landed on ska and I liked other music and I continue to like other music. But when I got to ska, it definitely was like, this is mine. Yes. For you, what was the reason that you, you know, you went through these different styles of music, but ska was just like, this is mine. I mean, the, the very first English essay I, I wrote in high school we had to describe like a private moment or whatever. And, and, uh, I, I remember I wrote my, um, essay about skanking in my room to the voodoo glow skulls. (laughs) 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 And, and I was like, you know, um, my, my, uh, I was like, when I feel the, when I, when I hear the vocals of, Frank Casilla is booming through my speakers. I can't help but get up and move, you know? (laughs) And uh, I do think a big part of ska was that it hit this tribal energetic thing inside of me that went, you know, in Beetlejuice, when the, when they're all at the table and the music starts playing and they have no, they're possessed and they just get up and start dancing. Yep. (laughs) That's what ska is to me. I hear it and I become possessed by this positive, infectious, dancing, happy type thing that it, it ju- I have no other choice but to kind of like move and feel it. And it goes into this like, it's almost like it's in my DNA. I, I can't, I'm just so drawn to it. And it makes me feel so good. And I felt so bad in my entire life that feeling good felt so good. I never wanted to feel bad again. What way do I do that? gravitate towards this and i i really think like that's what did it for i've always liked like infectious stuff like you know like i love hardcore and metal and like breakdowns and like finding the beat and everything but ska is like so easy to dance to and there's just so much going on especially for someone with adhd it's like the perfect music you know (laughs) your brain can wander to 10 different parts at once you know, oh, I want to get in on the horns. Oh, I want to get in on the bass. Oh, whoa, keyboard. Hey, drums. Wow, sing. <laughs> you know. Well, and with and with ska punk in the time period you were growing up, there, you know, you got your your breakdowns and your fast circle pit parts mixed in with the dancing ska parts. So totally. it was even more like ADHD brain, like totally. And and it 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 hits that infection. You know, it hits that part of you that makes you feel good, but also there's that angsty like. I'm mad at everything. I'm going to put on against all authority, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a, a buffet of goodness. Whatever you choose to pick from the buffet, you're going to be happy and you're going to be fed and you're going to go, going to want to go back. So your band has been uh, reformed, if you will, uh, during the quarantine. Yeah. We started talking and, and, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comic. I'm an actor. I'm like, you know, I'm, in the public eye. And so talking about ska, I always have brought up my band. And so like, you know, it became kind of a thing. And when I started talking about my band getting back together, there was like interest, you know, it was like weird. Like people were like, dude, I've like, people would always be like, Oh, I want to hear your band. I want to hear your band. And so we started talking, we released it on iTunes and Spotify and Apple music. And uh, I started sharing it. We got like all this great feedback. And so the trumpet player and the singer 
wrote a song and put it together. Me, the bassist and the drummer wrote a song and I still have to go back to Philly to record guitar tracks for it. But it, 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 we, we got back together and started writing music in, I'd say like January, February. And then like, you know, I went back home in February, March to record. And then I, I did vocals for a song and, um, and then my work came back. So stand up started again. And I've been working every night since, you know, the end of March and I've been on the road. Like I've been on the road the past three weekends, I think three or four weekends. So I haven't had like time in my schedule to go back to record the, the guitar tracks, you know, but it was this euphoric thing of like, Oh my God, the world shut down. We have all the time in the world. Let's work remotely. And then everything came back and I'm like, I'm working nonstop now. This is the world has opened up too fast. <laughs> Slow down, you know. Yes, you have um, custom in. You have your custom shirts, and you have one of them that is uh, Operation Ivy, but has your name on it. Yes, and he's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. So I mean, everyone. I guess like you know, I for a while I was wearing like band shirts on stage and everything, and I on my Instagram I always post little videos of me riding my bike with music playing or, you know, whenever I even post like just a regular thing, I always add music. Like music is incredibly important to my life and my mental health and my well-being. And um, I always am involved in music somehow. And so, you know, people pick up on that. And some graphic designers randomly made, they were like, this would be fun. Let me put his face on the Misfits logo. I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I'd post it, and people would be like, I want to see Operation Ivy. And then the person, the graphic designer would see that and go, well, here you go. And I'm like, oh, my God. So then it just became a thing where I was just getting uh, designs of, like, my face on these bands I love's logos. And uh, people dig it and everything. And then to go out to shows and see people, like, wearing these shirts, I'm like, hell, yeah, that rules. Nice. I just assumed that it was just like an like you were just being <laughs> like it was just the audacity of like I'm going to make Operation Ivy uh, merchandise with me. Oh no! I mean, someone did it as like a goof. I was like, that's great, and then people started being like, where can I get this? Can I buy this shirt? And I was like, well, I guess we have to. A buddy of mine made a uh, design for me where I'm like shirtless with my fanny pack, and he put tattoos all over me, but they're all like ska like he did a belly rocker that says ska on my belly and then there's like two-tone forever on my shoulder i have 69 tattooed on my face or whatever but that is a thing that uh i i have that shirt too but also like stickers so i'll like go around the city and there's like my you know tattoo ska sticker on like you know backstage somewhere on like a street post or whatever in manhattan it's pretty neat how long have you been doing uh, stand-up now at this point? Uh, ten years. Ten years. Okay. So stand-up comedians, like when, when stand-up comedians get together, it could just be like just a whole lot of like ruthless roasting. Oh, yeah. Um, how much of the roasting that other comedians do to you is related to ska? Uh, not, not much. Usually they kind of dip into the well of, um, you know, everything having to do with my physical appearance. Um, so there's really, <laughs> you know, uh, not too much time to get in, to dip into the ska pond, you know, but, um, I did have 
a birthday party a couple years ago and my girlfriend at the time made me a ska cake which was like so nice um it had the little operation guy being like black chocolate fondant and then it was checkerboard and everything and so my friends are over we're in my apartment music's playing or or no no no. i go i'm gonna put on music what do you guys want to listen to and they go whatever you want to listen to and someone goes, why don't you play your band? <laughs> and I go, oh, my God, this is amazing. So I put it on. And everyone goes, why don't you not play your band? Like, okay, <laughs> you know, OK, whatever. All right. Put on Drake. <laughs> what do the other comics think of Ska? I, I don't really hear a lot of comics speaking positively about Ska. Mm-hmm. But you, you're trying to you're trying to convert them. So, yes, absolutely. You've played with some pretty well-known names that people would know. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let's let's. Uh, why don't, you, why don't you name some names and where they stand on Scott? Oh, wow. Well, I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, my comedy, I try to be positive with it. I, I don't like so it works for some people when they're like negative and they like tear things down and they pick apart and they can't like anything. And they're like bitter and cynical. And I, I just don't operate that way. So like, you know, I can't really. Like, I, obviously, I'll, like, make jokes or, like, I can be a little, I can be roasty. I can be mean. But I always say with, like, a smile on my face, you know. But I can't, like, take something that a ton of people like or whatever and just, like, admonish it, you know. And so when I talk about Scott, anything I talk about, I just get, I try to get excited about to get people, like, on board with, you know. So when I talk about Scott, I feel like I'm, like, trying to convert the masses when i do it you know what i mean and um mm-hmm. other comics when they talk about scar some other topics they have to find like what's like the mean angle joke about it, you know what i mean like oh if you like like juggalos they're so easy to make fun of that it's like hack like if you don't like juggalos if you don't like ska fuck you okay these are a group of people that like community they like music yeah they're freaks but we're all freaks okay and they found a way to connect, to make some sort of community for themselves where they accept each other, they love each other. So what? God bless them. You know what I mean? But it's become mm-hmm. this thing of like, oh, Juggalos, blah, blah, oh, Scott. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm flipping it on its head. Scott's cool. Okay? If you don't like it, I, I you, you know, when I knock you out, they're going to have to pick you up, pick you up, pick you up. All right? Hey. There you go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't i don't know about uh comics that like outwardly like ska i don't know yeah does there any can you give us one name of somebody we know that likes ska no. or secretly likes ska i mean <laughs> i tried to get nikki into ska and she was not into it uh, <laughs> <laughs> like before the radio show one day a couple people in studio liked it but she was like this is not no this is not what did you play for? Um, I played uh, Slow Gherkin, Trapped Like Rats in Myers Flat. Okay. Uh, which is also, I think, my number one favorite ska song of all time. That's my, the song I play when I walk out on stage. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right when the horns hit. Yeah. Gets everyone all jazzed up, you know? Um. But yeah, so Nikki Glazer, Nikki Glazer does not like slow gherkin is is what we're saying. Right, right. Which I'm so, I'm sorry if you guys are listening. Yeah. 
I mean, listen, fellas, I tried for you. Okay. I tried, <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know. It's like, you know, but odds are like, you know, you're hanging out and somebody puts on squad five. Oh, it's not, I, not many people that aren't into it are going to be like, turn this up. You know, <laughs> I want to talk about the video you made for comedy central mm -hmm. where you got rejected for at a glory hole. Yes. <laughs> okay. First off, what was so was this for Comedy Central like the station or for their YouTube? Uh for their YouTube. Okay. So they had a series called Sex Fails where people were talking about like embarrassing sex moments and uh at the time I was like talking about this on stage or like I talked about it on the radio and we had like a really fun time with it. I was like, "Oh, this will be funny." So I wrote up all these jokes and the the video is super joke heavy it's like joke 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 and i'm like super proud of like how good how well the jokes were written how many that are, are packed in this thing but i will say the topic of joke is very uh divisive yeah. <laughs> it's uh how you say not for everyone and uh if i had known that it was going to get millions of views i would have maybe been like you know why don't you have um what's that word called boundaries <laughs> <laughs> you know don't show everyone your ham when you're playing poker there pal but it is what it is and you know it's out there i mean whatever it it's it's gotten in the way a couple times of you know people looking me up and then deciding that they don't want to go to dinner with me but you know what can you do it's like it's like sky you know it's not for everybody but the people that like it really love it you know so <laughs> So why don't you tell people a little bit about the the content of the story? I am uh, I'm I'm bisexual. I'm into men and women. I, I skew more women, you know. Um, I, I date women and I I'm like emotionally involved with women, but I've I've hooked up with guys and I've I, I've never I, guys suck. I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're just you know they're the worst. But uh, you know I I um. It's like a part of my story and who I am. And so um, I, uh, you know, used to be pretty reckless in my younger years and uh, engaged in some uh, wild behaviors, you know, and one of them was um, uh, going to glory holes. And, uh, you know, here's the thing about glory holes, though. It just because you go to one doesn't mean you're going to engage in sex. They're in the back of porno shops. You put a dollar in to watch porn on the screen. And you can just go in the booth and jerk off. And so what if a guy looks at you through a little peephole? Hey, buddy, you're welcome for the show, you know? But mm -hmm. I didn't always go there to get to, like, hook up. It was kind of like, like I've always, I, I, I kind of have always liked risky behavior, you know? Like, I, um, uh, you know, I was like an alcoholic and a drug addict. I ride a bike in New York City. It's, like, super dangerous, you know? I, like, get off on, like, danger, you know? And again, I, I haven't been, I haven't done this in years. This was like a younger man's game you know i'm an old man now so you know i uh i want to settle down with a family i don't really want to be like you know <laughs> uh hey hey family i gotta go down to eighth avenue real quick you know um but uh yeah i i i went and you know it's it's kind of like a thing of um you know you like wait around and uh guys you know i i i don't know if if you want to watch it's Check the video out. It, it's all there. It's all in the video. <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I don't want to taint the waters of ska with this, you know, foolishness. You know. Okay, so the video's out there. Yes. 
is that something that's been the most like gotten the most attention of, of stuff you've done and put out there because it's comedy central? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I do a ton of podcasts and the, those are like really popular known. I, um, I get recognized from like commercials or like, um, uh, you know, like, uh, things I've been in and stuff, but the glory hole thing has come up. Like, I was talking to a girl after a show. She's like, do you want to hang out? I'm like, man, let's get out of here. And some girl came up and was like, hey, sorry to interrupt. I just have to tell you, me and my friends love your glory hole video. Like, you know, the one where you get rejected at a glory. And I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. She walked away and this girl was like, what? And I was like, listen, I've uh, lived a life, you know, but uh, (laughs) it's all my past now, babe. Come on, let's get out of here. And she was like, nah, I don't think so. But I will say, look, it's a video about sex fails. And some of these people are like, I went to a bar and it was awkward. It's like, yeah, well, you ever get rejected by a place specifically where people don't care what you look like? Shut up. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> I think I won for, for, for what it was, you know, but I understand it's a very uh, it's not for everybody. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I am slightly embarrassed about it, that it's, uh, you know, uh, become kind of your comedy colleague card a little bit well i here's the thing i don't talk about it anymore you know what i mean like i don't bring it up i don't ref so it kind of just goes away like it'll blip up every once in a while but like i very much have made myself aware to not be that guy you know like it was a thing i did i got paid and it was you know people like it i you know but it's not something like hey this is who i am you know it was like something i did for a fucking paycheck and for a uh you know they it was a great exercise i mean i wrote a ton of jokes for it but you know it's not something like i want to be known for clearly you know <laughs> it's not like ska no i'll fucking wear the ska flag proud the fucking you know, the glory <laughs> hole flag i'm trying to take it off the flagpole <laughs> i mean and also the thing with the ska scene is i mean especially now you know it's always been you know um anti-racist and lately mm-hmm. it's been it's been much more uh feminist and uh, anti-transphobic mm-hmm. um and th- i feel like especially like scott twitter is very inclusive as far as like sex workers i have some sex fails with them too you know so <laughs> <laughs> the series comes back i got some trans fails <laughs> sex worker fails i got a lot of fa- i got a lot of wins but let me tell you fellas i got a lot of fails too okay <laughs> The odds aren't always going to be in your favor. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's the thing, though. Scott, Scott, I mean, look, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. It was a very homogenous area. And Scott introduced me to different ideas and values that I don't think I would have gotten if I had just been like everyone else, you know? And uh, I really credit Scott with. You know, the culture of Ska, the culture of that music, going to anti-racist action shows, just even going to punk shows in general. You know, it's like such a wide community of people that opens your eyes to different things. And I, I, you know, I feel sorry for people that didn't get to go to shows when they were younger and just see like, you know, there are just so many emotions wrapped up in going to see live music in like a gross basement, you know, like so much excitement, fear, danger, you know, you're getting exposed to new things. You're seeing people that you never 
thought you'd see before, you know, you know, you go in the pit and you're so scared, you get knocked down, someone picks you up, you're like, well, that's nice, well, I didn't think that was going to happen, you know, it's, uh, it's really neat, you know, and, and I mean, like, really, look, <laughs> growing up in an all-white area and then going to shows and seeing black dudes playing the trumpet or, you know, like, being like, oh, that's cool, you know, like, this is great, like, seeing you know, women in a band it was like exciting. It was like, oh yeah, that's cool. This is normal. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, I think people have an aversion to that stuff because they haven't been exposed to it. And I was exposed to it at a young age. So it just became old hat by the time I was older. Does that make sense? Definitely. What were some of the shows you went to back then that uh, really stick out in your mind? I mean, the very first, um, punk show i went to was at the trocadero in philly i was 14 um it was h2o saves the day ensign and Snapcase, and my mom drove me and my friend andrew up and she dropped us off we saw friends in line so we kind of butted the line not like you know it's like oh hey we're here and then you just go up you know so we're hanging out first of all my older friends told me, like, there's a hardcore gang that hangs out there. If they see you and they don't like you, they'll pick you out and kick the shit out of you. Like, you're going to be, watch your back, dude. You're going to get your ass kicked in the pit. Philly's no joke. <laughs> Everybody's tough. I legit thought I should wear, like, a jock strap and a cup. Like, I, th I was so afraid. We're in line. My mom pulls away. All of a sudden, I saw see a car pull back. The window lowers, and my mom sticks her head out the window and goes, Ian, here's a roll of quarters in case you or Andrew gets hurt. And I was like, oh, mom. Mom, what are you doing? And it's like the record needle scratched, and everyone in line was like, oh, someone loves their mom. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> kill me now. This hardcore gag is going to beat me up. You know, so that was like my first like punk rock experience, you know, thanks mom. But, uh, she used to, t my, my mom was cool as hell, man. She used to take us to the TLA in Philly or like these, like, you know, all ages shows in, in Philly or like she drove us up to, you know, Asbury Park, New Jersey to see catch 22 and like Edna's goldfish and stuff. And, you know, um, I would go to like little local shows of bands in the area. But e just like even being in a band at 14, I was playing. So I would have to go to these shows to play. And then you just see these other bands and everything, you know. Um, and so that was that was like really, really neat, you know. Which bands did you get to play shows with that uh, you were stoked on? Um, there was this band called from Florida called The Know How, which were like that was like a huge deal for us that they came up to play with us. And uh, we played with the early November and there were these, dude, there was this local band in Delaware, because we're from Delaware. There was this local band that we play with all the time named One Life to Live. And then they kind of broke up and started this band called Annie's Autograph. And they were so good and like electric that we had to like step up to be like, dude, they're going to like outplay us, you know? So like we had to like <laughs> really bring it because these guys were like so good and uh, when we broke up, they stayed together and they became like the big, like we were like the big band in the area for a while. And then they like just surpassed us and then they ended up breaking up. But they were like so great, man. Um, but uh, man, I'm trying to think of some other 
I mean, we played with Catch-22, but mo- mostly, like, local. Like, we'd go to Jersey or, like, Long Island. And then we were talking to a subsidiary of Atlantic Records that, like, wanted us to, um, you know, tour for two years. And we all chose to go to school and, like, get jobs instead, which I, you know, my last month of senior year of high school, I didn't talk to my mom. I had to, like, stay at my grandparents' house because we fought all the time because I was like, I want to go on the road, Mom. I want to tour. She's like, you'll never get a chance to go to college again, Ian. What do you think about your future? I'm like, I am. I want to be cool, you know. And oh, it was such a nightmare. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I think that's part of why I'm a comic now is because I'm making up for all that lost time of not, you know, touring. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you guys never, never got to do the, the, the van touring thing more than just out, like the nearby areas. Yeah. It was, it was more like two or three car touring mm, where we, yeah. you know, we would load up a car as much as we could and then pop another car with as much as we could and then head out. But we never did like, you know, you know, five shows in like four nights in like four, three different States or whatever. You know what I mean? Like we never did that, which I now do as a comic. Yeah. Um, and they all now have families. So <laughs> <laughs> my band, when we toured like three, we did three week tours. We took two vans, mm. which is so insane to me when I think about it now. I mean, back then the gas was not that much money. And so we managed to break even or make a little bit of money. But I can't imagine hitting the road in two minivans now. That would be so unbelievably expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also at, at at a certain point, you you got to put a price tag on your comfort too. It's like mm-hmm. I'd be more willing to spring for like a, a plane or train ticket for an extra hundred bucks than take a car so that I can have the comfort of the relaxation of that ride, so that I'm not all in a bad mood by the time I have to perform. You know what I mean? But when you're young, you like don't care, you know. Like for, for a while, I was like, I don't care. I'll just, I'm, you know, I was like touring the country, sleeping on people's couches, not knowing someone, someone going, when you get to this town, hit this person up and you'll stay with them. And I'm like, great, you know? And then, uh, now I'm like, okay, look, if a hotel's not included, I, I just don't know if I can do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I remember, I remember touring, you know, at 19 and, uh, someone in the band had bought some like music industry magazine. And uh, we were like reading this article, like tips on touring. And we were just laughing and snickering at it because it was like not made for people doing DIY punk touring. One of the tips was like, you know, hey, you, you know, don't eat at Taco Bell all day. Make sure you, uh, you know, bring some money and, and eat in a nice restaurant or whatever, just so you'll feel better. And we just thought that was just the the, the most absurd piece of advice you could ever get, which is like, why would. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Why would I care about, oh, you know, no. of course, back then you just eat whatever you eat. Totally. I was way into um, eating uh, AM, PM burgers. <laughs> oh, <back> wow. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? <laughs> it was fine. It was fine then. It's not like I could do that now. But yeah, I, and I I loved that they were like under a dollar each and I would get we, we'd stop at AM, PM. I'd get like two or three of them. Totally. And I just, I just couldn't stop talking about it. I was like, cause I, you know, I knew they weren't, didn't taste good. I was part of, I kind of liked that right, aspect right, of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just a gross out factor. When we thought we were eating healthy on tour, we would eat Subway. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so gross. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it worked for Jared. It's good for us. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. I mean, dude, on the road now, I have such a hard time because it's just so easy to eat like crap. You know, it's just so easy. And especially like I don't like to eat before I perform. So I either eat, you know, after like the last show with the food the club makes, which, you know, half the time is just like fried club food or, you know, you got to find a place afterwards, which is you know, like usually a diner, which I I love diners, but I I was just in Chicago and I'm eating, you know, Chicago hot dogs over and over. And, you know, I don't drink, I don't do drugs anymore. So my like party is eating bags of gummy bears in a hotel room watching forensic files, you know? So (laughs) it's like, you know, I, I really got to make an effort to eat better on the road, but I, you know, I like, I go on the, I've, I've been a lot better. I've been bringing resistance bands. I've been working out. I've been finding like bike shares in the cities I go to, to like ride. Cause I'm an avid bike rider. And so I, you know, try to make up for it when I get back into town, but being on the road, is just so, you know, especially if you're going for a drive, you go to rest stops, you know, you got to eat that airport food and you're just like, what am I doing? Like I was eating like such a champ in the city. And then now I'm, you know, in Wapiton, North Dakota and I'm living like the locals. What am I doing? <laughs> you know? Do you ever eat Waffle House on tour? I ate at a Waffle House two weeks ago. <laughs> what do you order at Waffle House? Well, before you order, you have to stop and listen to the waitress tell you about how that Waffle House went viral two weeks earlier because of a fight that happened uh, during service hours. <laughs> so once you're done hearing that and having her show you the video, you then order, uh, you know, um, eggs and, uh, you know, sausage and sausage gravy and then uh you know on the way from the waffle house to the car you regret it (laughs) (laughs) i just completely uh, related to what you were saying earlier like uh, i feel like punk ska like live music you know which was revolved around ska completely opened my eyes and my world my world to me Mm -hmm. i grew up adam and i are both from gilroy california which is a small town south of the 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 southern tip of the bay area Mm -hmm. and um I have a very, very conservative family that I came from. Mm-hmm. He came from a Mormon family. The world of, you know, learning about these shows and going to these shows and these bands totally exposed me to a different world. Yes. You know, I don't know if I would have pursued, you know, being a writer, being, you know, play, continued to play music and have, you know, develop progressive values. Like, I don't know that that would have been my life course had I not gotten into ska music and, and gotten into the ska scene at a young age. Totally. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it just, and not, not just like, okay, like physically, like you see these bands and they're wildly diverse, which is cool. And it opens your eyes to that, but listening to the lyrics and hearing these points of views that you would never hear hearing, you know, like every, you know, song is speaking out about uh, oppression and, and, you know, things that are going on that you're, you're not exposed to regularly if you're just listening to the radio or, or like listening to what's popular at the time, because that talking about that stuff is not popular, you know, and to package that little pill in such a delicious piece of candy is wonderful. You know, I mean, it, it, you can listen to, you know, a, a pilfer song that came out in 97 and it's applicable to the past year, you know. And uh, I, I think that's that's so interesting and, and cool, you know, and it really like like, look, I'm going to be honest, man, it, it I came 
seeing girls at shows having fun and everything is not something everyone's exposed to. You know what I mean? Yep. Like seeing other people that aren't like you enjoying the thing that you like is important. And a lot of people aren't exposed to that. And this music and this culture and this um, way of life was a very strong part of the foundation for my beliefs and my ethos that I take along with me wherever I go. You know, I, I'm, I really feel like I'm an empathetic, understanding, kind-hearted, positive, loving person. And a huge part of that is because of ska. And I, I really, you know, you can laugh about it all you want, but you know, it's, I, I really think it's, it's important, you know, and it, it's, it's not just, I, I mean, you just look at the three different waves, the history of it, you know, it's what other type of music is like that? What other, you know, type of uh, movement is like that, that has so many cultural touchstones and can open people's eyes in such a fun communicative way. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, not educated enough to know. Maybe there's some type of thing I'm, I'm not aware of, but if, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you it's ska, you know, you have to own who you are. You can be goofy and feel joy at the same time and not feel shame about it. And ska taught me to be myself authentically because it's more fun to live that way than it is to try to do whatever other people perceive as cool, you know? So when you see somebody attack ska on, on like Twitter or something, what do you think should be the course of action? I think they're a dork. I think they're just a call dork. them a dork. They are a dork. <laughs> you dweeb. <laughs> Read a book, In Defense of Ska by Aaron Korn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you just send them the link to the book, you know? I don't know. It was, it was like I was such a, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I lost my dad when I was eight. I was an only child. I didn't have a good family situation. And my my mom was always very supportive. My mom would come and like work the door at our shows, you know, like and my mom would get like recognized at the mall for being my mom, which was hilarious. You know, I granted she was wearing a shirt with my picture on it, but, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but like it, I'll, I'll never forget this, you know. My mom's side of the family, they they were like really conservative and just dickheads. And uh, they never took me seriously. And all I ever wanted was for them to like love me and accept me. And they wouldn't do it. And uh, it was like Christmas time, 2001. And every time they were home, I'd be like, can you come see my band? Can you come see my band? They like laughed it off like, oh, your little band, you know. And uh, so finally they agreed to come. And it was at, it was it's a show in Wilmington, Delaware, and I so my nickname is is Animal, <laughs> um, and they show up, and the venue is so packed out, and it just so happened that they showed up when, like before before a song that I wrote, everyone would like chant Animal, you know, and uh, they walk in, and the crowd is chanting my nickname as I'm like performing and playing and the only way i could get from the stage to them was to crowd surf back to them and i like <laughs> get dropped down and i'm like yeah this is my fucking band and they're like whoa like they finally were like oh you're not like i mean you're still a loser but you're like a legit loser you know like <laughs> it was like really neat it was like a real mill finger to them i was like you know fuck you aunt carol i'm gonna be somebody all right <laughs> But I mean, yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, 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 
I really think if, if you got a problem with Sky, you got a problem with yourself, you know, like if, if you got a problem with people enjoying themselves and having fun because something is displeasing to your ears, like who cares, you know, why do you have to hate it? Why do you have to act? like, I think that's so passe for people to be like, oh, Scott, blah, blah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not for everyone. People, it is daggers to some people's ears. I mean, let's be honest. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty jarring to some people, but it doesn't mean, you know, that you can be a dick about it. <laughs> Definitely. Like, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I, whenever I see a movie, I never read Rotten Tomatoes. I never listen to reviews. If I want to see something, if I want to be involved in something, I'm going to do it for me. I'm not going to let anyone else poison the well of what i want to enjoy you know well and i feel like there's a thing for like 10 years where it was really in vogue to like hate on stuff and i feel totally. like we've kind of come away from that now like I, like i've i've found that like you know i i put out music recently and and uh was really kind of waiting for all the like shitty comments from people right and that really didn't happen right it, it's gone out of style so i'm glad for that right well i mean i i feel you know i i still get nervous when i put something out because yeah. I, i'm a you know like you, especially as a stand-up you're exposing yourself so much you're standing alone on your own words on stage alone so i'm like oh, everyone's gonna hate it and everyone thinks i suck and then every time everyone's like this is great fantastic i'm like oh i could believe in myself more <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> so adam do you think like the pandemic and the lockdown had an effect on sort of changing that, like the attitude of just, you know, just hating on things to hate on things and to almost like some of that, like elitism that kind of went with that. Cause it seems to me like it kind of had it fractured that to some degree. I feel like it was already, it was already kind of fractured before that. Like, I feel like it was already not, not cool to just like hate on stuff. And I it's feel like it's definitely been reinforced during the pandemic because like, you know, people are glued to their phones or whatever. Yeah. So there's, there's more people, you know, stating that, that it's, you know, you, you can't just hate on stuff. Like it's not like a good look anymore. I remember when this pandemic hit, I was almost excited because I was like, wow, we are going to put our petty differences aside and look out our windows and see trucks full of bodies going to morgues, people walking with masks, a deadly virus that we can't control. And we're going to say, whoa, life is precious. Why, why are we going to concentrate on our differences when we're all going through this together? We're going to come out on the other side of this strengthened, stronger, unified. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I really thought, like, I, I really do think with so much downtime, it gave everyone such a chance to overanalyze and obsess and, like, pick apart every little thing instead of just letting things go by the wayside. So yeah. I don't know if it's, like, like, I feel like the dissection of things has happened more where, like, you know, I mean, people are getting... I think people are getting upset about more things that there's way more nuance to it than they're giving credit for. But I also think there is kind of a, um, an attitude of like, I mean, it's, it's both sides. You, you're going to have people that hate something that gets put out and then you're going to have people that go back against the haters, you know? And then it's, I, I just, I, it's been a lesson for me to just not care, <laughs> you know, like I'm taking that with me that, you know, people are in mass, people are dying. We don't have time to like 
think everything is is as serious and terrible as we think it is you know and uh i i think i do think with all the downtime it's giving people more time to like obsess and rethink and be angry and everything but at the same time it's like how can you do that when we've just all gone through this trauma and what more evidence do we need that life is precious and fleeting so why would you spend time being angry upset and hateful when you can just spend time loving and appreciating and living in gratitude for what you have rather than what you don't yeah yeah i agree and i think like it's definitely it's been illuminating to me to see just how much interactions you know in-person react interactions are so important it's not just that you you know you need it to make you feel better it's that you start to forget or people start to forget people other people's humanity Mm -hmm. when they don't when they don't see them they don't talk to them when they don't have to put up with people that they don't necessarily agree with or don't really like particularly care for, but still have to put up with them. Like these are valuable things for society because, you know, the the guy you work with that, you you know, you, you disagree with and and he's kind of a dick, you still kind of find things about him that you, you know, you, you can feel compassion for. So you don't just put him in the evil category. But it's really, you know, you can you can do that online pretty easy. Right. Yeah. I mean, facial expression, eye movement, mouth movement, it's so important to communication. And when you take that away, you're just looking at words and you're putting your own bias, your own thoughts, your own. Oh, I I bet they think this. And it's like, you don't know. You Context is completely removed. And when our only communication is online through written word, you're going to have people's own shit put on other people's words and it just leads to chaos conversation and communication was meant to be face to face over the phone at worst you know what i mean and the fact that we've eliminated that and almost there's a large section of the population that would be totally okay with never leaving their home again and just living this life electronically and it's not good it's you need you need communication. You need a walk. You need a, a friend to look at and and they say something and it strikes you as wrong, but then you recognize in their face they didn't mean it in the way that you're taking it. You know what I mean? And especially with things online, it's so easy to hide behind things and it's so easy to spew hatred because you're getting it reinforced by having someone like what you say. So you then think, well, that means I'm right. It's like, well, no, it doesn't. You know, just because you, a lot of people retweet or like it doesn't give it any more validity than if nobody did it at all, you know, and it's so much easier to pile up and be a part of this like ravenous pack than it is to be a thoughtful, empathetic thinker and go, oh, there's nuance here. Oh, there's something here that is being missed. And I, I think conversation is so important. Listening and responding is so important rather than just like a one-sided talk fest at someone you talk with someone you don't talk at them you know and i think i think i mean it just reinforced that conversation communication and humanity is more important now than ever that that's what this past year taught me i mean i learned a lot about myself for better or worse and i think um you know coming back i'm more i'm finding myself making more plans and more of an effort to meet up with people face to face, even if it's for like a once a week coffee walk and talk, you know, rather than just like sit and talk on the phone, if that makes sense. 
But I've I've stayed. I mean, I quit Twitter for a while. I don't interact on Twitter. I do my own things. I never get involved in anyone else's um, conversations or anything. I, I can't do it. It's not good for my mental health. If you want to tear each other down, go for it. You're a moron, but that's your right. You know, I just can't get involved because I also know I'm coming from a place of love. I'm coming from a place of truth and pure of heart. But when you see what I say, you may not know that. And then I'll get pissed off that you think I'm coming off another way. And then that's going to ruin my day. And I don't know how many days I got left. I smoke cigarettes and ride a bike in New York City. I got to fucking live each day like it's my last. I don't want to <laughs> spend it arguing all day with someone that's a fucking asshole, you know? <laughs> I mean, you, you are active on Instagram, though. And the thing that I've noticed is you follow, like, every Scott band. Yes. Yes. Which is so awesome. Unabashedly. I love it. Who of the new ska bands are you enjoying currently? Catbite. Yeah. I love them. I love them. And through doing like comedy in the radio, I end up becoming friends with the Pie Tasters and Spring Hill Jack and Cooley from the Pilfers. Um, and, you know, becoming like friendly with Catbite and everything is awesome, you know, and, and like having people like know me through ska and stuff is like, incredible you know but um i uh oh and there's this band from long island called the fad yeah jimmy doyle's band oh my god i love them i have turned so many people onto them by like sitting next to them playing it and like watching them and be like the song's not over you gotta listen you know what i mean (laughs) and uh yeah i mean i that's that's the thing like i love um Ska makes me feel good, and I love making other people feel good, and if I can make them feel good, why not introduce them to Ska? Jimmy Doyle did the same thing that your band did with Catch-22. He he booked Link 80 when he was like 16. Oh my god, that's awesome. And that's that's how we became friends. So. Oh wow, I'm looking at uh, the Daniel Steele His Bright Light book right now on my bookshelf. Oh shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read that since it came out. I remember at the time us feeling real weird about it. Oh yeah, buddy. Just because, like, for the last two years of of Nick's life, like, the he spent more time around the dudes in Link Eighty than anyone, and then for his mom to write this book, kind of a you know saying that she knew everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of uh, stinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say, uh, his high school picture with the poison free over his mouth. I wanted to do that so friggin' bad. <laughs> God, did I want to do that? And, and I, I got a hardware store chain necklace that I made and I put a ring around it from a girl that liked me. And then she said she just wanted to be friends. So I threw the ring across the road in front of a Bennigan's back in like 2002. And, you know, <laughs> what can you do? I also wrote her a song as a secret track on one of our albums. And when I went to her house to play it for her, she was like, I think we should just be friends. And I was like, oh, wow. okay, but I'm still going to, you know, love you for a couple of years. <laughs> speaking of twitter you managed to get a uh, uh you managed to get eve six to follow you oh is yeah. that correct yeah how does it feel to have eve six follow you i mean really uh if you told me that when i saw can hardly wait in theaters before going to six flags in 1997 i would have said wow what is twitter um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was pretty neat. You know, I, I really want 311 to follow me too. I would love, there's a 311 cruise. I'm trying to do stand up on that cruise. I would love to do that. Like I love, I'm talking to Steve from the pie tasters about maybe like 
opening for them in a couple shows or I would love to do like a ska music. Like I've opened up for the Lumineers, which is great, but it's like, um, you know, you have to have the band like vouch for you before you go on stage. Like my, I'm buddies with um, Todd Barry and he's opened for a bunch of bands. He played drums a super chunk uh, covering the Misfits horror business, which is hilarious if you want to look that up online. But he told me a secret of having the band introduce you and go, this is a friend of ours. We love him. You're going to love him. Give it up for Ian Finance because otherwise you're just a guy on stage that nobody trusts. Does that yeah, make sense? Totally. 100%. So I would love to try to do like a ska comedy thing. I think that'd be great because then I could do stand up and then also mosh and skank in the yeah. same night. Dude, I was so excited. One night I went and uh, saw Memphis Gopheles, the Pilfers, and Spring Hill Jack at Gramercy Theater. And uh, I had to leave in between to go do sets in the city. And uh, they, I like sweet talked my way back into the venue because they, they weren't going to like let me come back. And I like sweet talked my way in. And uh, it was like so cool. I felt like a kid again. And like I, I uh, ended up like talking to Cooley and he I told he was like, were you here for the whole show? I was like, no, I had to leave. I'm stand up. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, my God. And they checked out my comedy. And we became buddies and like. I don't know. It's really neat. Like the pilfers were at the first ska show I went to and uh, I got stomped on by like an oi skinhead during the pie tasters and Cooley was giving out demo tapes outside and my buddies are like, dude, that's Cooley ranks. Oh my God. Oh my God. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Ska podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to order my book, In Defense of Ska, you can go to Amazon, request it at your favorite indie bookstore or library, or go to clashbooks.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.